so before we, we go into the preaching, um, I always like to, to pray. So if you guys haven't been here before, uh, the reason why I do this is I believe that um, this isn't me preaching. It's what the Lord has given me. And so uh, this is just kind of for me, but if you guys could just uh, put your heads down with me and, and agree with me, uh, that would be great. Lord, we just thank you for this time, Father. I thank you, Father, for this word that isn't that easy to preach, Lord, but uh, I believe, Father, that you gave this word to me, Lord, and I pray, Lord, that you would use me simply as your mouthpiece, Lord. I don't want the glory. I don't want to be praised, Lord. I want you to be praised. I want you to have the glory, Lord. And so I pray, Lord, that this message, Lord, would be used by you to influence my brothers and sisters here today, that it will infiltrate their hearts, Lord, and cause change, Lord. I thank you, Father, and I pray, Lord, that you would humble me before you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So a little icebreaker, if you don't know me. I'm a little of a, I'm a, little of a jokester, okay? Um, I like to make jokes. My wife knows this. I'm just a really joking, dorky person, if you didn't know that. Um, <laughs> uh, half of the time up here, I'm either laughing or I'm crying. And I don't like to cry, but for some reason, I cry up here. Um, and a little secret about me is one of my biggest fears is that I would leave my mic on and I would go to the bathroom. Like, that is one of my biggest fears. One time I was uh, growing up, I went to this church, and my pastor left his mic on while he was peeing, and he was just whistling his life off. Like, he was just, I can't, I can't whistle, and so you wouldn't have the pleasure of hearing me whistle. You just hear me peeing. And so that's just one of my biggest fears. Uh, Anyways, let's go into the message. Um, so today's message is called Seeds of Fire, Seeds of Fire. And um, if you have been here for the last couple of weeks, we've been going through the book of Acts. And so last week, we, ha we went over this kind of dramatic thing that had just happened in the church. And I'll kind of recap that just in case you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, and so in Acts 8, 1 through 8, persecution begins against the Christian church. And now Christians must decide whether they will refute the name of Jesus or spread his story across the world. You see, persecution is coming to Christians today. We now live in what's called a post-Christian world, where any Christian values, thoughts, and way of life is looked down upon, and there's an undeniable refusal to believe in the absolute truth we call God. On top of this, brothers and sisters in Christ are dying all across the world at this very moment as I speak because of their belief in Christ, and it's only getting worse. With this in mind, I believe that there's something to be learned from the early church and the response to persecution in Acts 8, 1 through 8, to prepare, to prepare us for the greater persecution that is coming to us Christians. A little recap, if you weren't here last week, in Acts 7, 57 through 60, Stephen, a godly man loved by the early church and apostle, had just gotten stoned to death. 
And at the scene was none other than Saul, who would become Paul later on. Saul not only approved of the killing of Stephen, someone who was being used by God mightily, but actually enjoyed it. And this sends shockwaves into the world. And now we pick up in Acts 1 through 8. Acts 1 uh, Acts 8, 1 through 8. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men, godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks and pure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so that there was great joy in that city." And so this is the scripture that we're going to examine this morning. And, and so I'm going to kind of break this up into segments. And we're going to kind of go deeper within each little piece that I take apart so that we can get a better understanding. And so the first section of scripture is great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And this is in verse 1. The early church had just experienced a great loss in Stephen's death. And before they could recuperate and catch their breath, their security and comfortability was taken away from them. Persecution emerged against the church, and now a hurting church must, not, must now become mobile. I don't know about you, but when I'm feeling persecuted or I feel heartache, the last thing I want to do is share the good news. I don't want to do anything. I want to seclude myself, and I don't want to be around anyone when I'm feeling persecuted or in heartache. Yet the early church does something interesting. Out of their pain of loss and persecution, the early church turns those very things into a source of motivation to share the good news, and I'll go more into that later as to why. The next section of scripture is, all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And that's in verse 1. It may seem unimportant that Judea and Samaria are mentioned in the scripture, but it's actually really important locations to the Jews of the time and to the ministry of Jesus. And so Judea would be our modern Israel. And in Judea, a couple of facts about what had happened there. It was the place where Jesus was born. It was the place where Jesus fed the 5,000. It was where Jesus was rejected and had to avoid the Jews because they were trying to kill him. And it was also the place where Jesus would be crucified. Now, on the other hand, Samaria. Samaria was modern-time Palestine. And if you didn't know, I'm Mexican and Palestinian, so this would be me. Um, and so a couple facts about that. It was the home to what the Jews of Jerusalem called the half-breeds, 
and was heavily looked down upon. Now, if you call me that, don't do that, okay? And this hatred uh, by the Jews of Jerusalem was so great that when they would travel by Samaria, instead of going through Samaria, they would often go through the Jordan River instead of going through Samaria because of how much they hated the Samaritans. It was also the place where Jesus talked to the woman at the well who should have been looked down upon in the eyes of the Jews, but instead Jesus took the time to listen and to talk to her. You see, Jesus was calling the church to the very place that had hung him on the cross and to the place of the Jews' greatest enemy. Now, this was the early church. Most of the Christians are Jews. And so now they're having to go to the place of their arch nemesis, the people they hate with all their hearts. And if you didn't know, there's still a lot of conflicts that are going on in our modern day between Israel and Palestine. It's still going on. This, this hatred is still going on from this time period. And now the church is called to go to the place where Jesus was hung and to the place of the Jews' greatest enemy. But on top of that, the salvation that came through Jesus' suffering to all humanity, Jesus was now calling the Christians to partake of the suffering, become uncomfortable, and spread the good news to the world. And that's exactly what had happened. In the next section of Scripture, Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women, and put them in prison. And this is in verse 3. Not only were the Christians now facing persecution all around them, but now nowhere was safe. An enemy was on the prowl, Saul, who found pleasure in dragging Christians from their homes and putting them in prison. But this is an important note. The Christians never stopped sharing. I mean, talk about stubborn Christians. No matter how hard the enemy would come against them, the Christians with, uh, no matter how, how hard the enemy would go against them with words from others or physical weapons or emotionally, the Christians just would not budge. And I want to be like that. I want to not budge when persecution comes against me. And I believe, brothers and sisters, we need to be like that so that the light, so we can bring light onto this world without fear. We have to be Christians that do not budge at the first sign of persecution. The next scripture is those who had been scattered, the Christians preached the word wherever they went. And this is in verse 4. Now think about this. The Christians were being persecuted, killed, dragged out of their homes, and were forced to move from the place they once called home. Yet they were still spreading the good news. Why? It, it just doesn't make sense. Why? You see, the good news is this. Jesus was crucified for our sins resurrected in three days, sin has been conquered, and salvation 
Freedom is now accessible to all humanity, and that includes you. You see, this, this message, this good news was revolutionary because the hope that, that Jesus offered was not to one people group. It was more than one person. It was more than one color. And you see, the gospel reaches, the good news reaches you no matter your color, no matter your background, no matter your social class, no matter if you're from the streets or you're rich, Gentile or Jew, the good news does not discriminate. It does not pick favorites. And the Christians of the time knew the value of the good news. They knew that everyone had to hear the good news because it was a hope that was offered to all humanity and not just one color, not to one just race, not to one location. It was for everyone. And so when they were scattering, they were actually using it as a way to spread the good news, to spread the hope that Jesus offered. Now let me ask you, are you willing to die for the good news? Are you willing to suffer for the good news? To be persecuted because the time is coming when, <laughs> this is pretty harsh to say, but the time is coming when the fake, surface-level Christians will be set apart from those that truly know the worth of the good news of Jesus. Because persecution is coming, and it's only a matter of time. Persecution will often differentiate the fake from the real, the wheat from the weeds. Now, I want to show you something that kind of blew me away during my trip of, in, in Israel. And um, I got to visit the Church of Initiation. Again, I'm not Catholic. We're not Catholic. Hope Center is not Catholic. I don't know if you're Catholic. Um, but um, the Church of Initiation is supposed to be, I believe, the place where Mary lived. Anyone could correct me on that? Is that right? I believe so. Okay. And... Um, in the Church of Initiation, on the walls as you enter, there is images of Jesus and Mary. And um, the interesting thing is that it wasn't just one image. There was multiple images from all around the world of Jesus and Mary. And so, again, we're not Catholic, but I believe this is important to show you because I think it's, I think it's just amazing. And so let's look at the first picture and so this is the picture of Mary and Jesus from Korea. And I know it's kind of hard to see, but as you can see, the, the flowers, the Korean writing on the bottom, even the way they dress is in the way Koreans would dress, right? Even if you look at Mary and Jesus and how they look, they look Korean, right? They don't look white. They don't look Middle Eastern. They look Korean. And so this was, in their perspective, how Mary and Jesus would look right? Because this message, the message of Jesus had gotten to them from the Middle East, but they were applying it now within their own context. So this is what they would see. Now, let's go to the next picture. This is Thailand. Now, Thailand, one of Thailand's biggest religions is Buddhism. And so, as you could see, I don't know if you've seen pictures of Buddha, but usually it's in this style of artwork, right? And so, 
everything from the headwear to what Mary's uh, pants are, from her being sh- uh, not having shoes, even the way Jesus looks is in their way, their perspective of how Jesus and Mary would look. Again, same message, different context, right? Now let's go to the next picture. Now this is Brazil. Brazil is weird, right? Now, (laughs) this is the kind of artwork where you have to kind of squint to see what's going on in there. Like I had to. Now let me explain what's going on. So baby Jesus isn't in this, but Jesus is in in this artwork, right? And so uh, you can see this big figure right here. That's the angel that was talking to Mary, talking about when that the Holy Spirit would give her Jesus. Now you see the dove around the angel's neck is the Holy Spirit, and it's looking into the eyes of Mary, meaning that the Holy Spirit would enter Mary and she would become pregnant with Jesus. And then as you could see, there's kind of like this running stream that goes down to the bottom right here. And you can see Jesus' face and he's carrying the cross. Now if you look at these people that are kind of in this yellow uh, color, those are the people that are saved by the sacrifice of Jesus. And now you see this weird portal-looking thing. Uh, This is the stairway to heaven. And so, as you can see, for me, it's weird. To look at this, it is weird. But for Brazilians, this was a common way to do art. And for them, it was a message of Jesus that was hidden within their culture within how they perceived the story of Jesus. And it's so interesting because there's so many multiple colors. And Brazilians, they love color. And so this is unique to Brazil. Now our last one is Japan. And so Japan, um, they wear this, uh, this, I don't know what it's called kimono you guys know better okay so this is a kimono and they're wearing the kimono and now if you see little jesus it looks like he has a bowl cut um (laughs) uh for me it's weird right but for them it makes sense right and everything from how mary looks to how jesus looks is the way that japanese people would see how they would look right and so even that gold uh hue is kind of like their artwork. When you see Japanese artwork, they usually have that kind of gold-looking color. And so this was how they perceived Mary and Jesus. It was in their culture. It was in their, their, uh, their way they would dress, right? And so as you can see in all four of these pictures, none is like the other. Each is unique to their culture, to the artistry, and their traditional clothing that that it's made in. And the Lord revealed something to me during my time there. This is the outcome of this scripture, right? And so without persecution, the good news would have not spread to the ends of the earth. This, all the four different pictures, would not be possible without the persecution that came against the early church. Now, think about it. If the early church stayed within Jerusalem or within Israel and never spread out when persecution happened, what would have happened? They would have died out, right? This would have not been possible. The good news would have never spread. And 
something interesting about this is, is that Jesus is showing us something beautiful. He was not only the Savior of the Jews. He was not only the Savior of the whites. Uh, he was not only the Savior of African Americans. He was not only the Savior of Native Americans. And he's not only the Savior of the Hispanics. Jesus is the Savior of all. And his good news, his good news is limitless. It crosses cultural boundaries. Historical hatred between nations makes no sense when the good news is infiltrated there. And people groups, and it crosses human understanding. Jesus calls us to hate your enemy. The world tells us, hate your enemy and don't look their way. And when the enemy tried to crush the good news in this scripture, not only did Jesus become stronger, like his word, his story becomes stronger throughout the world, but it spread further. Because of the persecution, the good news had spread further. The enemy tried to suppress the good news, tried to take out Christians, but they came back stronger. And as you can see in history, that's usually just what happens. Again and again, they try to take out the good news of Jesus. And again and again, it comes out stronger, right? The top religion now in the world is Christianity. How do you think it happened? From this scripture, it was because Christians decided to spread. And now I'm not telling you to move from Montana, because <laughs> you guys would probably kick me out. <laughs> um, I'm not telling you to move from Montana. But I am telling you that there's something within you that I believe you have the ability to spread if only you trusted yourself. Now, there, I was growing up, I was really interested in science and animals, and um, I'm not weird into the science stuff, but I do like nature and those different things. And so uh, something that I learned in middle school was something called prescribed fires. And I don't know if we have any firefighters here, but this is a firefighter term. And um, so prescribed fires are fires that firefighters actually start on purpose. And so it kind of sounds dumb. <laughs> you know, you're a firefighter and you're starting a fire. That kind of goes against, you know, what you're, what you're supposed to be doing. And so um, this kind of fire, it actually takes a lot of graphing out. The wind has to be perfect and it has to meet so many perimeters to just happen. And the reason firefighters actually start these fires is because it could be good for the land and the animal species that live there. And I know it's mind-blowing to think that something so destructive as fire can actually be beneficial and healthy for the land. But something that's amazing is the greenery there will actually come back stronger and more lush than before the fires. And so because of the seeds that had been planted and, and the soil that had been created from the, bird greener, the burnt greenery, the plant life will come back stronger. The ecosystem will be more balanced. More species can come in and live in that area. Now, why would I talk about this? Well, I believe 
that instead of the fire of, this, of destruction, the enemy tried to invoke upon the first Christians. Through persecution, the Lord used the fire of the enemy for good. The scattering of the first Christians had created seeds of fire. Not only, not seeds of fire that would cause and bring destruction, but seeds, but seeds of fire, Christians who are on fire for Jesus, carrying the Holy Spirit wherever they were scattered to, to spread the gospel and would turn the world upside down and bring true life and hope to a one distaste, for a once distasteful, dark, and hopeless world. I believe that the fire that had been caused by the enemy, the Lord turned to good, and that the seeds started spreading across the world, and the world started becoming infiltrated by the good news that Jesus died, was resurrected, and now the sins were conquered, and now we can be forgiven and have freedom in our life. If there's something that I want you to get out of this preaching, I just want you and I to get to the point and say, I've been suffering, but Jesus. I've been lost, but Jesus. I've been depressed, but Jesus. I've been anxious, but Jesus. I felt unheard, but Jesus. I felt confused, but Jesus. I felt like I was losing, but Jesus. I felt my family was slipping through my hands, but Jesus. I felt like life wasn't worth living, but Jesus. I felt like staying silent, but Jesus. I felt like I had no purpose or value, but Jesus. All I want you and I to get to the point is where persecution can come and you can say, but Jesus, but Jesus, but Jesus is the reason I live, I breathe, and I spread the good news and become seeds of fire. Remember, the good news does not discriminate. It does not pick favorites. If you're living then you are capable of becoming a seed of fire. It doesn't matter if you're from the streets. It doesn't matter if you're poor. It doesn't matter if you live in the ghetto or if you live in the rich side of town. It doesn't matter because the good news is again for everyone. Now, if the good news is to spread, then you must be that seed of fire. You must go around to your neighbors, to the people around you, and spread the good news. Don't be fearful, because our brothers and sisters from the first and the beginning of the church was not fearful. I believe that we have the ability to become seeds of fire and change the world and get rid of all the gunk, all the nastiness, and bring back a fruitful and lush world that is filled with the love of Jesus. Let's pray.